everybody. How are you this morning? Are you good? We are glad that you're good, and we're glad that you're here. Would you stand with us, please, as we worship the Lord in song this morning, lifting our voices and just praising his name, because he is here with us today. Before 
as you sing this next song, remember who we're singing to and who we're praising this morning. It's the God of the universe, the God who became sin for us so that we can have life in heaven one day with him eternally. Sing this out with me. Here we go.
through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress, and you are my portion, you are my hiding place, I believe you are the way, the truth.
Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Welcome. Good morning, Crossroads. How's everybody doing? Good. It's good to be with you. Uh, and welcome to our online family joining us online. We're glad you guys are here. Listen, if we have any guests in the house, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you're online as a guest, welcome. Uh, if you're here in the building, would you do me a favor? Uh, two things. There's a, in front of you, there's a connect card. It looks like this. If you are here as a guest, would you please fill this out and take it to the Welcome Center because they have something to give you as just a, a small gift to say thanks for being here with us and joining us. Uh, and we'd love to connect with you. And also, church family, if there's anything that we can pray for you or connect with you about, would you please fill out that connect card? And you have two places you can put it. You can put it in the offering box as you're leaving, in the auditorium or in the lobby, or you can give it to the Welcome Center and they will make sure it gets where it needs to go. Um, but listen, we had so many people last weekend that submitted prayer requests and we're praying for them and just know that it would be a privilege to pray for you and to connect with you in any way. So please let us know. Use that connect card. Uh, and especially if you're, uh, you know, just you're curious about something, you want to know more, we will follow up with you um, tomorrow and like get connected with you on that. It's going to be, it's going to be good. God's doing a lot of things here at Crossroads. And I want to highlight a few things uh, in your bulletin. One uh, is that we have a series, two new series that just kicked off on Wednesday nights with the men's and women's groups. Uh, so please uh, join us on Wednesday nights at 630. There's for the kids up into uh, eighth grade, and then there's men's and women's groups. Uh, the women's just started a new series, and the men's just started a new series in the last two weeks. So please jump into those. Uh, the information's in your bulletin about those groups, but those start at 6:30 on Wednesday. And then I also want to let you know that on May 8th uh, we are going to be uh, dedicating our babies. And so uh, if you have babies that you would like to dedicate before the Lord here at Crossroads, uh, you can do that on our website, or you can talk to the people at the Welcome Center, and they will get you uh, signed up for that. But that's going to be on May 8th. And then the following weekend is going to be our next Next Steps class. Uh, and so we're looking for anybody that's that's been here that's wanting to take that next step and make Crossroads your church family and become a member here at Crossroads. So uh, information is in your bulletin as well. You can check out our website for Next Steps, which is going to be on May 15th. And uh, it's, it's a time where you can get connected with other people. You can uh, hear from Pastor Ken, myself, and other staff members about, you know, how, what, what do we believe here at Crossroads? How can we get connected? And how can we get rooted here at Crossroads? So that's going to be on May 15th. But listen, God is doing a work, and we're coming off a high from Easter, and we're just watching God do incredible things. He's, he's saving people. He's changing lives, and he's bringing the light into the darkest places. So we're thankful, right, church? And so uh, I also just want to say thank you for your faithfulness in giving, uh, giving your gifts to the Lord. You can continue to give online through the mail or the boxes on the wall. And we're just going to watch God do a mighty work as we just submit to him that which he's given to us. God's been good, and uh, we're glad that we're here. We're going to keep uh, just wrestling with his word and growing together as a community. Would, would you guys stand as we continue in prayer this morning? Lord, be with us as we uh, sing, as we read your word, and Lord, as we continue to just ask you for guidance and Lord as we as we just continue to let go uh, more of of the things that we're going through, the concerns, the worries, Lord, so that we can truly grasp on to entrust you with our lives. Lord, that's a difficult task, and we're trying to do a little bit more every single day. So, Lord, help us. Help us to do those things. Holy Spirit, guide us, counsel us, comfort us as we, as we continue to let go of, of things in our lives and as we continue to trust you more with every uh, part of our lives. Lord, uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for this incredible group of people, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. You are everything to us. In your name we pray. Amen.
that it will just penetrate into our hearts, Lord God, and that we'll see more of who you are and more of what you want us to be, Lord God. Thank you for being our Lord and our Savior, the risen Savior of the world. Amen. coming off of Easter, how people look for transformation. Like everybody's looking for something new. Have you noticed that? Like in our world, everybody, if you say it's new, man, it's new and improved, you've got to sell right there. It's new, right? Because there's something inside of us that desire that. We desire something new. We desire to be made new. We desire to be refreshed for, for life to come into those dead parts. And so for, uh, when we looked last week, we looked at the resurrection. Thanks be to God for the resurrection. Because of the power of the resurrection, we now can have the dead things become alive in our life. And so God has done that with, uh, you know, you look at many areas of your life, those mortal areas that are, have dried up and died, you're looking for transformation. We want to see something be changed, like go from, uh, you know, like some of the things you saw in the video there. It's like, man, you see the new become. And so when the new comes into your life, uh, the scripture that I'm looking at here today is 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the uh, first verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and as, as we look at this as our theme verse, man, all things become new. When I was younger, I used to always get scared by that verse. I used to always think that means, well... All the old things I used to do, I'm never going to do them anymore. And like, I'm some bad person and I'm going to become like this perfectly good person. And you know what? Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And so when you start to understand this, this is not about you becoming a better moral person. It's about you becoming a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, this verse now takes on a whole new meaning. This verse is freeing to me. This verse says, I am somebody new. I am somebody in Jesus Christ. So in Christ, everything has changed. 
So as we jump into the series, we're going to be looking at a number of people from Scripture that have had their lives transformed. We're going to look at how to transform your life, how you can have the transformation. How does the new, what does the new things that God brings into your life? <clears throat> Today we're going to look at, at what God does for Peter. Uh, we saw that you know Peter's, Peter had a lot of issues in, in, in following Christ. He was one of the twelve disciples. But uh, now we're post-resurrection. So last week we looked at... Uh, at the the first uh, appearances of Jesus. And now today we're going to go into the third appearance of Jesus post-resurrection. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And as we go through this, we're going to look at this uh, this appearance of Jesus. And we're going to look how that he transforms lives. Uh, afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were there together. I'm going out the fish, Simon Peter told them. And when they, uh, and when, and, and they said, and then they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now isn't it interesting that Jesus goes on and he says, uh, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. The disciples have started their new ministry of fishing. They've gone out. I mean, Jesus has risen from the dead. You came off of last Sunday. Easter was this incredible day. I mean, it was a, a wonderful weekend, was it not? Man, I thank God for everybody. Let's thank God for everybody who, who helped make that a reality last weekend, man. I'll tell you. Good Friday was incredible, just overwhelming. Saturday was overwhelming. Sunday was overwhelming. Man, we, we have this great celebration. But even for the disciples, man, it's like, hey, I'm going to go fishing. Like, Jesus just rose from the dead. You were with him for three years, and what do you do? You're going to go back to your old life of fishing. And so they, they didn't understand the new purpose that God was about to lay on them. God was about to totally transform all those disciples. But today, as we look at this, look here, Peter, and, and again, Peter always puts his, you know, Peter always is the guy who's putting his foot in his mouth all the time. Peter's always the guy, he's up and he's down, he's all around. And I think what we can identify most with Peter. Um, he says, uh, verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So they fished all night. They didn't catch a thing. And remember, these guys were, that's what they did before they were on the, on the Jesus disciple team. Uh, that's what they did. They were, the, they were fishermen. They were avid fishermen. These were professional fishermen. They knew how to fish. So they go out and they catch nothing. And there's Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But they did not realize that it was Jesus. So Jesus is off in the distance again. And if you go over to, I think it's Luke chapter 5, you'll see there's a very similar thing that Jesus did, similar miracle just like this that he did before the resurrection, before he went to the cross. And so here they are again, and they're out there, they're fishing, and Jesus stood on the shore. They didn't recognize it was him, and he calls out, he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they reply. And he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. Remember, when John's writing, he refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved. I always love that. Hey, the one that Jesus loved. Said, and by the way, he was the closest. You had the, the twelve, the three, the one. John was the tightest. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. 
So right away, John's like, it's the Lord. Like, we cast the net out where he said, and we've got, he's having a flashback, remembering the other miracle that Jesus did. And so as soon as Simon Peter had heard him, he said, as soon as Simon Peter heard John say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. So when these guys would fish, quite often they would take off uh, a, a little bit more clothing. You know, they're out there getting wet. They're pulling the fish in. So the, he throws on his outer garment as to get out of there, and he starts making a mad dash towards the shoreline. Um, verse 8, then the other disciples, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards and when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals where they had fi- uh, w- with fish on it and some bread. Jesus is about ready to make breakfast for the boys. I love this. Uh, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask them who you are. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. So, so Jesus makes breakfast for the boys. He's on he's on the beach. I mean, can you imagine that? You're going to the beach and Jesus makes you breakfast. Uh, you know, here's what happens when when you have a meal with somebody. There's a, there's it's kind of cool. It's, it's more fun to have a meal with somebody than to have a meal by yourself. Did you ever notice that? Um, I, I'm I'm you know a social guy. I enjoy having a good meal. Uh, I actually have a good. I enjoy a good meal with or without anybody. It's, I'm going to eat it right. So I'm going to just enjoy it. It's a good time. But whenever you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, there's an exchange. And, and there's something that happens because you have had that exchange. So if I say, hey, let's have a meeting. We're going to go meet you for lunch. It's not the lunch that we're trying to have. We're trying to have an exchange. We're trying, we're trying to have the, have this conversation. Uh, the other day I was, uh, you know, everybody was running around here and I decided, well, uh, I need, I need some substance. You know, my wife was busy, my kids were busy, everybody was busy. So I said, I'm going to go down to Moe's. And I jumped in the car, and I went down to Moe's, because Moe's knows. And I went in there, and I got my stuff, and I got my bowl of rice, and I sat there. And Moe didn't even eat with me. It was like I'm sitting there by myself. I'm in isolation, right? You have somebody else sit with you, now you have a conversation, and it can be life-changing. Depending on what your conversation is, it can be life-changing, you know? Uh, one of those big times, I'll never forget, when I asked my, my uh, father-in-law to marry, to marry his daughter. I, I'll never forget that. That was life-altering meal. I met him at Mr. Donut or Duncan, whatever the donut shop is in Washington. I met him and, uh, and, uh, and I, uh, him and his wife, and I said, hey, uh, you know, do you think I might be able to, uh, yeah, could I, yeah. Yeah, and we had a life-altering conversation. And it's the best thing that ever happened to their family, I'll tell you. Anyhow, I'm just kidding. But I'll tell you what, that was a life-altering. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus was about to change the life of Peter here. He's about to change the life of the disciples here. And there's a, a transformation that's going to take place. But as we, as we come into this, I want, you, I want to remind you of Peter's problem. Peter had a huge problem. And what was the problem? He denied Christ three times. And so Jesus, you know, he, he, he's got to deal with this. Jesus is going to deal with Peter's problem here. And listen, if you have a problem that's not dealt with, that's 
a problem. Like Jesus had to come and he had to deal with the problem. He said, there's a sin issue here. There's, a, there's something that must be dealt with. And so here was the big problem. Peter was as close as you could get. He wasn't just part of the twelve, he's part of the three. Peter, James, and John, they were the inner circle around Jesus. And so if you wanted to be physically close to Jesus, you were, you were in that little group. And so Jesus goes out, and Peter goes out and denies Jesus three times. He curses him. I mean, it's no mistake. Listen, in that culture of loyalty and, and shame and all that stuff that they dealt with that we don't typically understand because our culture is so different, when he called down the curses, man, he was, he was making this very clear. I am not part of the Jesus movement. I am not part of that guy, Jesus. I am not a follower of him. And he was saving his own, his own life is what he was doing. And, uh, and he came, and, and then the second other thing that's pretty big for him, as you see in the scripture quite often, Peter's the one who gets the credit for the statement, I will never deny you. I mean, you, you go and you read that. He says, I will never deny you. Uh, the other Gospels tell us that everybody said the same thing, but Peter's the one who gets credit for it. It's like, you know, it's like, remember, no new taxes? Remember that one? Ooh. Peter, he gets the credit for, I will never deny you. And it goes into his quotation marks. But they all said the same thing that they would not deny. But listen, Peter's got this big problem. And so I want you to think about this. Let's put it into our terms today. If somebody did something really good for you, something that was really life-giving for you, and then you just denied them. You denied them to the point of death. Okay? Um, it's the ultimate, you know, like for, for Peter, he wasn't the one who made the actual betrayal like Judas did. But he's denying Christ. He was a follower of Christ for three years, and then he denies that he ever was. So let's just say in your life, somebody has done something really good for you, like paid your way through college. In today's world, that's easily $100,000, right? Uh, You've got a $100,000 bill. They've paid your way through college. And you're really good friends with them for a few years. And then all of a sudden, there's a, a disagreement comes between you and your friend. And as a matter of fact, your friend is about ready to go. And uh, you're, you're going to deny your friend who just paid off your college bills for you, who has taken care of you for with this $100,000 gift. You end up denying this friend to the point that your friend ends up dying. And so what, what that looks like is from the outside, there's something unforgivable. Like everybody standing around would say, how dare that guy, what he did, what you did was totally unforgivable. And that guy has, he shouldn't forgive him. Well, we know Jesus does forgive. But Peter has also got to deal with this. Not only the forgiveness from the outside, but the forgiveness from the inside. If you go and you, you do that with somebody, you have betrayed a good friend of yours like that who has done something wonderful and incredible for you. Now, all of a sudden, for you, you have an issue. Can I forgive myself? And listen, the, the things of our past, the, this is a big deal. The things of our past that haunt us that I say, can I forgive myself? There are things that I have done, things that you have done, things that have hurt others in your life, and things that we have, all kinds of things that we, that we suffer through, that we today say, man, I don't know. I, I think I'm no good. I, and we go into this grovel moment that I can't make it because I haven't forgiven myself. I want to remind you, maybe you're saying, well, that's not me. I don't have anything in my past. 
Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 helps us understand the heart, the human heart. It says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart, my heart, is deceitful. Like when you deal with yourself, you know who is driving our heart most of the time? It's a desire for me to get ahead. That's what the heart is. And he says that the heart has to deal with this. We are desperately wicked. Who can know it? So you say, well, I'm just trying. In the meantime, I am desperately wicked. And who can know it? You don't even know it half the time. You don't even know how much you're putting yourself in the front of every forefront of your whole life because it's all about you. In the Old Testament, one one uh, theologian, Bruce Waltke, said it like this. He said, when you're looking in the Old Testament and you see this this uh, con, uh, the, the 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 difference between righteousness and the wicked, when you see righteousness and the wicked, he says that the righteous were known to take disadvantage on themselves so that somebody else could take advantage, so that somebody else would gain. The wicked were known for them to take advantage of somebody else so that you uh, can now uh, have the, the advantage. They would take disadvantage of you so that you can now have the gain. So, so the righteous were known to, hey, I'll suffer so that you can gain. The wicked were saying, you suffer so that I can gain. And so as you, as you go through this, you understand this in the, in the Scripture. He says that we are wicked. Our heart is wicked. Who can know it? Man, I have got to come before God. God has got to constantly be working and helping me understand in my life that, hey, I, I, have, a, I have a heart problem. And so as you come along and you look at the heart problem, look here at what Jesus had. Jesus was about to do a procedure on Peter. He was about to come and do a procedure. And, and I use that word procedure because, you know, if you go to the doctor and he says, all right, you have this problem, we're going to do this procedure, right? Outpatient surgery, when they do it in his office. You know, you, you pay a doctor to inflict pain on you so that you can heal. Did you ever go to the dentist? Wow, I have a whole chart that's never been to the dentist. Wow, okay, three people. Those are the only ones smile. Everybody else is like, oh, blah, blah, blah. man, you go to the dentist. I went a couple of years back here. I was celebrating Christmas with a box of candy canes. Just crunched them all up. Oh, that was my New Year's gift. I got to go to the dentist. And you know what I did? He says, I can help you. And he's grinding, and I mean, ah, man, I'm like dying. I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm paying for this right now. And that's what happens. You need a procedure. It has to be dealt with because if you don't deal with it, you have further pain. If you have a toothache and you don't deal with it, it just spreads. You get more problems and more problems. And so Jesus knows this about Peter's life. He says, I've got to deal with this with Peter. And look what he does. He he. He sets this up for, for Peter, and, uh, and he, has, he has Peter, you know, the, whole, the disciples were there, but he pulls Peter aside. Verse, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, well, feed my lamb. Again, Jesus said to Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? 
for the second time. Imagine what's going on in Peter's heart right now. And he answered, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep, tend my flock. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And imagine what's going on in Peter's mind. Peter was hurt, the scripture tells us, because he asked him the third time, do you love me? And right there, the whole world came crushing down on Peter. Peter had failed the Lord miserably. He denies him. Man, he's got some big issues going on here. And what was happening, the Lord was about to transform him. But when you see that verse there, Peter was hurt. God knew that he had denied him three times. And now he comes in, and he, when he gets off the boat, if you go into John eighteen eighteen, you would find out that, that Jesus, um, Jesus when, Je- when Peter denied Jesus, Peter had done it around a charcoal fire. And when you see in John chapter 21, verse 9, that whenever he called them, he told them how to fish. He said, come on out. He put them on. The, there was a fire, a charcoal fire. It's like he, he's re, resetting it up. So around the fire. And he pulls them aside and says, now listen, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I do, I do. But he's really hurt at this point. And what is happening here is Jesus is beginning to teach him about the cost of grace. Folks, grace is expensive. It is not cheap. We have forgiveness. Man, thanks be to God for forgiveness. If we did not have forgiveness, we would not be here this morning. There would be no reason for us to be here. But Jesus says, listen, I am the one who forgives. But in that moment of forgiveness, you've got to understand that he does not take sin lightly. You've got to understand he is a holy God. This is the holy God of the universe. And when the holy God of the universe says, I can't stand to look upon sin... We've got this problem of sin before the Lord. Anytime that I have sin, it, it separates me from the holiness of God. And so as, as we deal with this sin, this is where we can say, hey, listen, I, 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 I've got to come before God and God has got to do the surgery here. He was talking about the cost of grace. The grace was not cheap. It was expensive. There was a guy by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Germany during World War II. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you can read his book, The Cost of Discipleship. And what he did, he was, uh, he was in, uh, during World War II, he was uh, actually against the Nazis. I mean, he believed that the Nazis were wrong, the, the genocide that they were doing. He believed it was wrong based upon what God's Word taught, and he stood up against it. And so when Dietrich Bonhoeffer gets hauled off into the concentration camp because he stood up for what he really believed for God, he's in the concentration camp. He's beginning to, t- all he does is tell people night and day about God, and he talks in, there about, in the cost of discipleship. He says, why did the German Christians just roll over with Hitler? Why did the German Christians just turn their head and say, well, it's not right. 
but God will forgive it. He said, because they did not understand costly grace. They had a version of grace that said, this is cheap, and God will forgive you no matter what. Well, yes, God will forgive you no matter what, but we have got to understand, when you understand that sin has separated you from a holy God, that God has such an issue with sin that the wrath of God comes down on sin, yet God says, I love you, and I'm stepping you aside, I'm putting my own son Jesus to pay the price for your sin. And when he puts his son Jesus on there, and he still says, you You've sinned. I can't even look on your sin. Therefore, I'm coming for you. I still want a relationship with you. And I'm taking care of this. Now you get to see how much God really loves you. You now get to see. Because, listen, if you have a God, and this is what Bonhoeffer says. He says, if you have a God that does not take sin lightly, then you do not understand the love. Like the love. If if God does not take sin lightly, his love doesn't mean much. Because it's like, well, whatever. But God says, you've got a sin issue. And with this sin issue, I, he has to deal with the sin issue. He doesn't. And what he was teaching him here was a bit about whole, about the expense of grace, the holiness of God, the expensiveness of the, of the grace of God. And when you understand what that forgiveness really, really means, now you're beginning to understand that his love, how much he loves me, and how that he electrifies me. Like his love absolutely makes you new in Christ. With the degree of your darkest hours, when you can look at your darkest colors and then you can see now the grace of God. Now you now it's to that degree that you can see the love of God. And this is where Peter was. Peter was coming in and Jesus sets it up. Here's the charcoal fire. Okay, now you remember. Remember where you denied me. Hey Peter, do you love me? You know what's interesting? Is that he doesn't complain the other thing that's interesting is that jesus here look here he says simon do you love me peter was hurt and look how he responds he says lord you know all things you know that i love you and he doesn't come along and make excuses he doesn't say well you know it was my life was on the line that's what we would do wouldn't we like, like, now he knows that Jesus knows all things. He knows that Jesus knows that he denied, but Jesus, he didn't come before God and make excuses. This is what we do. We come before God and make excuses. We are so good at justifying why I didn't do what I needed to do. We're so good at justifying our sin. And so, when he comes before and Jesus is taking the knife, he's coming down and he's saying, all right, here's the procedure. I've got to deal with this because, Peter, if I don't deal with this, you'll never know how much I really love you. Wow. We all want this. We all want to say, well, just forget about it. God loves me. It's done. No, listen, it's called repentance. The Bible talks about this term, repentance. And, and, and this is what was happening. He was having a godly repentance. Look, Jesus says again, feed my lambs. The third time he says, feed my sheep. He says, Peter, I'm going to give you a a purpose. You're going to have something big to do here. You've got to feed my sheep, the flock of God. You get to take care of them. You get to go out and proclaim the good news. And here's Peter. In this moment, he does not make any excuses. He doesn't come before God and make excuses. 2 Corinthians 7.10. I want you to read this with me. It says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. 
And I want you to catch this. Because this is so important. When Peter was dealing with Jesus, when Jesus was bringing this down because of his sin, because of the issue, there was an issue. It was uncomfortable for Peter. But when Jesus brought this down, what he was doing was he was allowing godly sorrow to come into his heart. Godly sorrow brings repentance that brings to salvation, leaves no regret. How many of you and how many times have I done this thing of the worldly sorrow that brings forth death? In other words, Peter not only didn't make excuses, Peter didn't grovel. And here's what groveling is. I'm no good. I failed. I just can't do it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm no good as a... Whatever your job is. I'm no good as a parent. I'm no good as a husband or a wife. I'm just no good. And, and you know, Peter didn't come in and say, Well, Jesus, you know, I was, I was a disciple. I followed you. I was there when you did it all. And I denied you. And I could never do this again. And I'm just... I'm just and it's called what I call woe is meism, if that's a word. Woe is meism, right? And we go down to this, well, I'm just no good. And you know what that is? That is worldly sorrow that brings forth death. You can go to God and, whoa, 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 I'm no good. I'm no. Listen, it's not going to save your soul. And it only brings forth even more death. And, and listen, here's what happens in our life. Um, we get upset with ourselves. And when we get upset with ourself, um, this is where we go into this worldly sorrow. We, we're so sorrowful over ourself. True repentance is sorrow over the pain that God has suffered. Think about it. He died, His holiness. He paid the price for your sin. And then your sin is inflicting a wound on the Lord. You see, that's godly sorrow. You come and it brings back a change to your life. Worldly sorrow is self-pity. You, you, you come away and, and it's like, oh, I, maybe if I appease God somehow, this will be taken away. And we go through this. And what we like to do is we like to go into woe is me-isms. We like to go into this of, of I'm no good. I can't do it. And you know what? That's not what Peter did here. Peter, he didn't make excuses. But yet he came and he didn't grovel. And he's been set free. He had true repentance that leads to salvation, that leads to no regret. You see, when you're doing the woe is me, all you're doing is taking your regret. And you're dealing with the regret. And you're rehashing the regret. And you're looking at regret every day. And you're upset. And you're trying to fix the regret. But the scripture says that that worldly sorrow brings forth death. All it's going to do is destroy you. But yet, godly sorrow brings repentance and leaves no regret. Wow. Do you see how free... That's freedom, folks. No regrets. That means the things of yesterday, you don't have to have regret because they have been forgiven. And you don't understand forgiveness till you understand the holiness of God. You don't understand that, hey, listen, I have offended this Lord. And so when Peter did this, man, Peter, you know, he ends up healed. Peter ends up healed this day because Jesus said, I am going to deal with this. I am not going to let you off the hook. You see, if I let you off the hook, I've hurt you. 
If I let you off the hook, you're not going to deal with this and have godly sorrow that leads to repentance. You are going to be living your life, and you'll say, well, I'll just do whatever, and I will just keep living in my regret. And you know what Peter needed to have? Peter needed to be healed so that he had no regret. Man, this is awesome. Do you want to live a life of no regrets? Come before Lord and, and deal with the godly sorrow. Take it to the cross. You see, here's what happened here. Peter, uh, Peter comes and, and he's healed. Jesus says, feed my lambs. In other words, yeah, I know you failed me. He comes to him three times. Did you fail me? Yes, Lord, you know I failed you. Did you fail me? Yes, Lord, you know I failed you. He doesn't, he doesn't lose his mind. He says, yes, Lord, I, I'm wrong here. I, I, and it's driving me crazy. Again, I would want to say, like, stop it, Lord. You know? Wouldn't you expect him on number two? Okay, Jesus, I know you know. But cut that out. And that's what we do in our life. We try to run from God in every which way, and we say, God, just cut that out, because I'm so uncomfortable. God says, you've got to be uncomfortable. Because if you're not uncomfortable, you'll never understand how much I love you. I gave everything. You denied me, Peter. It's okay that you're uncomfortable. I'm healing you right now. And he says, go feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Take care of the people of God. And what does Peter do? Peter's got now a new, a newness of life. And he's got, he's, listen, he went from being the biggest failure to being the greatest leader. Man, he was, he was a big failure. He, he messed up royally. And you know what? Here's what happens. And when you take your failures into the grace of God, they, it's like turning lead into gold. Man, you take your failure and you go into the grace of God. Here's what happened. Peter uh, would not have been able to be the leader that he ended up becoming without taking his failure into the grace of God. What do you want in a good leader? You don't want an overconfident leader and you don't want an underconfident leader. This was not a leader. Peter didn't get up on the day of Pentecost and just 50 days later. He didn't stand up and say, I don't know if I can do this today. And he didn't get up and say, man, am I God's gift to the kingdom. And we have both extremes in our world today, right? God says, listen, Peter, I'm making you the person I want you to be. And Peter gets up and his identity is now rooted in Christ, not in his performance. Folks, when we let our identity be in, rooted in our performance, you will never be happy. You will, you will always be looking at your regret because you cannot perform the way even you want to perform. You are, you'll be sick because your performance doesn't meet your own standards. You've got confidence now. When you've come to Christ, you get confidence from who He is. You are a sinner saved by grace. You can understand the human heart. You can go back and understand your own wickedness. Now you can take criticism. Somebody can criticize you, and it's okay. You see, whenever, whenever it's the other way around, whenever I'm trying to fix it, and I'm trying to take care of it, man, all you're going to do is anytime you get a criticism, you're always going to be, oh, I'm not good enough, I can't do this. And listen, God says, whoa, 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 I want you to now come, Peter. Peter, understand, I know. I know. It was painful. Many people believe that where Peter did this around the coals, and Jesus could actually was in sight and could see could see him making these denials. He's like, I know. 
I know exactly what you did, and I'm going to forgive you. But you've got to understand that it was not through a cheap sacrifice. It cost me my life. Paul says, only when I'm weak, I am strong. The world says, hey, listen, you, the more you perform for God, the more favor you gain from God. That's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of the gospel. Man, we live in a world that is a performance-driven world. But I'll tell you what. Jesus says, oh, you've got to understand something. I know you failed. I still love you. And you've got to understand what your offense did to the Father. You've got to understand how that the holiness of God is so you can understand how much I really love you and how much this forgiveness really means. Peter is transformed. He's healed. He's transformed. And your life can be transformed too. I want to encourage you. You can be transformed. Many of us, we're living with the heart problem. It's me. Meisms. I want to get ahead and I'll disadvantage whatever system it takes to do it. Your system, my system, I'll do whatever so that I am okay. That's the deceitfulness of our hearts. We can do that. But God says, you've got to come before me. And you must experience this pain, godly sorrow. And then you turn and you accept his forgiveness and you live without regrets. Look what happened here. Um, over here and continuing on, verse 18. I love this. Jesus tells him, I tell you the truth. When you were young and dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. I shared this verse last night and an elderly person in the church said, does that verse mean about aging? I was like, no, that's not talking about aging. It's talking about what happened to Jesus on the cross. Look what he says. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. Before you understood truly following me, you did whatever you want. He says, he says but when you were older, when you were old, you will stretch out your hands. And what did Jesus do? He stretched out his hands, died on the cross. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus stretched out his hands, and he went where? We know. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, I don't want to go. He said, if this cup could pass from me. And he said, I'll do whatever you lead me, Father. And he lays down his life. And look what he says to, to Peter. He says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. And I love it. Stretched out. And when he saw the stretched out arms, man, he's, he, again, he's getting another glimpse of, of, the, of the power, of the sacrifice, of the love. It was the stretched out arms. And, you know, as you go through, we don't have it in, in the Bible, but we do have other sources that have told us that, we believe that Peter died on a cross as well. Many people believe it was on an upside-down cross. And he gave his life. He ends up dying a martyr's death. And I love this. At this moment, and you know, like I said, Peter, I can identify with the guy so much. Look at this. Look at the next verse, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, John, 
This was the one who leaned back against Jesus and, at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So Peter saw this. And when Peter saw me, he asked, okay, you just told me this for me. What about him? <laughs> I love it. What about John? And look how he responds to him. Jesus said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Oh, what is that to you? What does it matter to you? You must follow me. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, I know the path that I'm calling for you. Don't worry about John. Don't worry about John. John has got his own path. And if what's it to you if John never has to die? As a matter of fact, you, you finish out the chapter, John says, to this day, many people think that John will always be alive, but that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say John will always be alive. He said, what's the matter, you? Good Pittsburgh Italian term, right? What's the matter, you? He said, what does it matter to you if John stays alive and you have to die on the cross? Follow me. And so what I want to encourage you to do this morning is this, is what's the matter, you? What's the matter when anybody else's cross is? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And so I want to encourage you to take up your cross and follow the Lord. You're having a different burden, a different trial than I'm having. And God wants you to come before God and get healed, first of all. Be transformed and know what's the matter. What does it matter what anybody else's trial is? Because God's got a burden, a, a, a trial that he has for you. Listen, he told Peter, go feed my sheep. Peter goes out and on the first day, the opening day of the new church, 3,000 people come to Jesus Christ in one day. He didn't stand up and say, man, a day. He went out there before and he said, listen, 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. It was the power of God was exhibited on that day. And, and God used the guy who was the most denied, the guy who fumbled the ball the biggest. And God says, I'm going to use you the greatest. And God says to him, don't worry about anybody else's trail. And I want to give you the little insight here. You ever hear somebody say, well, God won't give you more than you can handle? Well, let me tell you, this is the closest thing I can find in the Bible to saying that. Because there's a lot of cliches that Christians think of. But I'll tell you this. Jesus said this right here. What's it matter what somebody else's burden is? You follow me. And that's the call today. Follow Christ. Your burden is different than mine, and mine is different than yours. But God says, you keep following me. And that's how you get transformed by love. You're transformed by the love. Listen, this is the costly grace of God. You get to be transformed by his love. So as we, as we leave today, I want to encourage you to go home and deal with the areas of your life. Like, what is it that's been haunting you? Maybe it's something from five years ago or from five hours ago. Maybe it's something in your heart that keeps coming up and you're saying, man, I wish I didn't think like this. I wish I didn't have this. I wish I wasn't so mean. I wish I wasn't whatever. Whatever these things of the deceitfulness of our heart that come out. I wish I wasn't so conniving. I wish I wasn't so liar. Whatever it is, come before God and say, God, you're right. I admit it. I screwed up. But you love me so much. God, I need to be transformed by your love. 
and let God use you. And God's going to do great things in your life as you come and you understand he's the one in charge, not you. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. One, one person said it like this, The stars shall live a million years, and a million years will live a day. And a million years, and I'm sorry, the stars shall live a million years, a million years and a day. But Christ and I will live and love longer than the stars, long after the stars have passed away. And I want you to come and realize his love this morning. See, this whole thing, God set up the, the charcoal. He set up all this stuff, the three times so that he could make a difference in Peter's life. And you and I, we're so prone to run away when it's uncomfortable. And I want to take you to the cross. And I want to invite you to Jesus. And it's okay that it's uncomfortable. I want all of us, from time to time, we must experience godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, that leads to life. Man, I think most people are stuck in worldly sorrow. We beat ourselves up. We live in a world where it's me. And the only thing that matters is me. And therefore, when I screw up, I pay the price for it. And God says, I already paid the price. It's called Calvary. So if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ, would you open your heart to Jesus? Would you just come to him and say something like this? Dear Jesus, I need transformed by your grace. And just tell him something like this. God, I realize how costly it was for you to die on the cross and pay for my sin. That you were were buried and you rose again the third day. And God, I surrender to you right now. I give you my sin And I ask for your joy. I trust you with my heart and soul right now. And for many believers in this room, maybe you are really struggling today because of the past. Maybe it's something, an event that you did. I want to remind you that even for Peter, the past was just an event. It's not his future. And the same is true for you. The past is just an event. It's not your future. But you've got to come and you've got to have a meal with God. You've got to sit down and let him do the cooking. Let him do the talking. And give him straight answers without excuse. And surrender to his love and surrender to his grace. And watch your life become made new. Transformed by his grace. God, I pray you'll work in powerful ways, Lord. As we've looked at your word, I pray for everyone as we walk out of here today, Lord. I pray that that this will be moments where we have seen you have delved deep into our heart, Lord. Go home and work on the surgery of all of our hearts that we may see, that we may understand their love that you have given for us. God, thank you for the freedom that's coming. Thank you for the transformation that's going to happen because of your word, how you've met with people today. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us.
away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night sky I'm drifting off in the deep of the valley your presence surrounds me the crickets sing and trees ring and I want to let you know that river water runs steady flow and